1: JB, we got to talk about this. Go away. JB, we got to do it. I don't want to. JB, we're recording. Get
0: out of my room, Pulley D. We
1: have to do this. You have to talk about it. The first step to admitting that something is wrong is confronting the issue. Why? It happened, okay? It just happened, and there's nothing you can do about it.
0: All right, fine, folks. Welcome back to You May Be Right with JB and Paul e. D. I don't want to be here. I was <laughs> dragged into the studio from my warm apartment. It's getting cold in New York City. I've barely eaten today, and I have water right here. And Paul e. D is making me talk about the Yankees losing to the Astros in the ALCS. Because he's a
1: mean man. Ignominious loss. Now you know it was, it was a. It was a. Um, I thought it was a reasonably well-fought series, but uh, ultimately the anxious just couldn't. Just didn't have enough.
0: I mean, I'll say this much: you you need to start listening to me when I actually predict stuff. I know, because I said Astros and six. I know, as if me predicting the NBA finals down to a T was not was not enough evidence that I should be listened to. I said Astros and six. They go home with a three-two lead. I don't know how, but that's what happens. And despite the Yankees' best efforts, they lost Game Six. No, I mean and now I hate Jose Altuve.
1: I mean, look, you're right. I mean, my only thing is, if the Yankees team that showed up, you know, in the uh, in the divisional sh- series actually showed up in the ALCS, we would be talking about something different.
0: But that didn't happen. I have been not in a great place since the Yankees lost. I mean, at least I mean, pretty much for the first twenty four hours after the fact, um, I basically turned into Oscar the Grouch. You know like every time people talk to me at the game it's just you know right just scram No, I got it. Uh, off topic. Um one thing I we need to cover. This this isn't sports related. Have you seen Joker yet? I have not actually. I I saw it. It's great, but SNL did a spoof of it when David Harbour from Stranger Things hosted and they made it not a not as a Joker trailer but as a Grouch trailer as in an Oscar the Grouch origin story. I heard that.
1: I heard that was pretty funny.
0: I was on the floor laughing. Got Yeah. It was really funny. It's like, Elmo's a crack addict. <laughs> er- Ernie gets stabbed in an alley as Bert cradles him in his arms.
1: Sesame Street goes gritty. Sn-
0: uh, Snuffy's a pimp.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: it was- And it's so weird because- they went to the same 167th Street steps. So you you know those steps, right, on Shakespeare Avenue in the Bronx? They used to work up by there.
1: I mean, I I do. Um, I I don't know those specific steps, but steps like that are all over the Bronx.
0: Yeah, and uh, and Washington Heights at that. But anyway, uh, I've been pretty much in full Oscar the Grouch mode. People have been I've been yelling at people. You know, here you know here's here's actual footage of someone trying to talk baseball with me, and here's my response on tape.
1: Oh, let's hear it. No, I got it. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, all right, the thing with <laughs> the, th- the thing with the end of the baseball season, especially when your team makes it deep into the postseason, is you've been following them for so long. You know, it's different than it's different than the basketball season, it's different than the football season. There's yeah, so
0: Baseball's a grind.
1: There's so many games. There's so many hours of 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 media that you consume, of sporting event that you consume, if you're, if you're really following every game or nearly every game in a baseball season, you you do start to feel, you feel sad. I think is the, is, is the first word that comes to mind when your team loses in the postseason. but also you feel like a jerk because you spent all that time. Yeah. And, you know you didn't get the desired result i i totally understand it it's like i mean 2016 all over again now after look after 2003 i mean we could have me and my fa- me and my immediate family in connecticut could have used a grief counselor <laughs> that's how bad that's how bad we were just we were like sad I, like really sad
0: i mean you you told you've told your uh your 1986 world series right. story on this podcast right. before
1: no look i was at a i was at a bar in game 7 and the biggest mistake of my life I made was when right before Pedro, you know, gave up the lead and they left him graded little leaves him in too long yada yada yada. I look at a, a red I look at a guy down you know a couple seats away from me at the bar and I go, are you a Red Sox fan? And he just nods his head. And I go, mm-hmm. when's the I, you know I and, and I said to him, where were you last time the Red Sox won the pennant? Yeah. And he didn't say anything to me and I got my beer and I walked away and I was like later walking out after the Boone home run I was like oh my god I think I did I think I jinxed us I think it was me (laughs) it was it was my fault you know that but that's how you feel like you you know you don't I mean you you feel like a jerk you really do because it's a lot of hours and so I I totally understand it and yeah you know you got to feel those feelings man
0: um Okay, hold on one second. got to take a minute for myself. You can do this. Okay. That makes sense. That came through better. (laughs) I had some technical problems with that the first time. Here, one more time just for good measure. Yeah.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense
0: that you would do that. Now it's out of my system.
1: Yeah, there you go. Uh,
0: Yeah, so (laughs) let let me put it this way. I... Do not care if my team loses a game. Right. It's 162 games, and that's before the playoffs. There's a whole lot of games. The fact that the Yankees won 103 with 39 separate IL stints across the season is a great accomplishment in itself. Right. What I do care about is when my team loses and shows absolutely zero fight. And I feel that was the story of the entire ALCS. Post-game one. Right. We came into Minute made won seven zip the first game. They jumped all over him. Yeah. I was like, oh, uh, I was right. Yanks I, in five. I wouldn't say jumped all over Granky. We just kind of timed it. wait, kind of let him do his thing, capitalized accordingly. And then with Verlander between a combination of Boone over managing – um, Adavino
1: should not have been in. in yeah, that Yeah, they, they they should have let that, Chad Green go. Right. That was the, that was the that was the I think the pivotal moment of that game. Yeah. Adavino comes in out of role. Yes. And and these I I really do believe that that you know your late inning bullpen guys they get into a habit and they love that habit and they are creatures of habit and as soon, unless they're prepared to go out of role bringing them in out of role like that what was it the fifth inning. Yes, bringing them in out of role like that, I think, really throws them for a loop. And of course, you know, we you know the rest.
0: Yeah, I mean, Adavino didn't look right the entire playoffs. Even in the Twin Series, no. like, when he he wasn't pitching that out of role. No, um, he just could not find the zone to save his life. I don't know whether playing for his hometown team in the in the playoffs got to him. Right, but hey, I guess someone had to serve the Dylan Batantis role this year. <laughs> Get well soon, Dylan.
1: Oh man.
0: Um, but one way or another. <clears throat> The Yankees, I think I read somewhere that their chase rate for the entire series was around fifty five, fifty six percent, wow, in terms of balls out of the zone. And even in a game where we made Garrett Cole look mortal where he he had four or five walks, yeah, the lack of timely hitting we could not we couldn't get it done. Yeah, I thought you was trying. It was trying to do too much across the way. I mean, small ball won us games against Minnesota. We picked and chose when to go for the home run all throughout the Houston series. Especially after Game One, it felt as though every time we, every time the Yankees went up to a bat, whoever was in the box was trying to change the game with one swing. When really you have to marathon against Houston, you got to wear them down. And instead, they're trying to win the game the fast way as opposed to the right way.
1: I think you got to move the line well in the playoffs. I think the teams that win in the playoffs, I think they, I think they do. First of all, I mean, they the, the, the last two teams standing, right? If you yeah. make it to the World Series, you're a good team. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. I know you do. You do a lot of things really well. Yeah, but, but in, I, I think in what, in,
0: I, in our collective memory, I right. cannot think of a single World Series where a bad team or a fluke team won. Right.
1: Like, um, like I wouldn't call any World Series winner of the last 10, 20 years
0: a lousy team. You know what? I take it back. I'll, and this isn't homerism at all. I'm going to call <laughs> the 2003 Marlins team that won a bad team because they, because they weren't a good team from start to finish. They were a team that got hot at the right time uh, and certain things broke in their favor. And they took advantage accordingly, and the Yankees, of course, as has become par for the course for them in the 21st century, their bats fell asleep in the postseason.
1: You know, I'm not willing to, to, to call the that... Marlins team a, a bad team but I will say that I, I didn't think going in that they were particularly great I think they had great players on the team who who, who carried them through the series and that's really all you need I think we're, we're seeing the same thing here with the Nationals every team on the every player on the Nationals doesn't have to play a great World Series for them to win I right. mean there's 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 key guys that need to do really well and those are the four starting pitchers and some a couple of the guys in the lineup and that's pretty much all you need yes and the Marlins were able to simplify the game in 2003 in in a similar way right so josh beckett what has has two wins or, he in had, the world series
0: he had one or two wins that series yeah. right
1: like you know the i forget who i forget who else was in the rotation but the whole rotation. mark redmond was one
0: um
1: the rotation was pitching really 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 well and that simplified things for the for that marlins team Yeah. Right, because all those guys had to do was go in there and cruise, and that's kind of what they did. Beckett was nasty that year. He was nasty.
0: One way or another, though, going back to the LCS, the Yankees just couldn't get it done. Uh, They won game five, but only because of some timely hits. Moreover, the Astros didn't play well this series. Both teams were sub-200. No, no. And yeah. it, with runners in scoring position, in terms of batting average, the Yankees' pitching was pretty good, except for the occasional bullpen meltdown. Right. But the real frustration is that this team just it collapsed on itself. They went into panic mode. They struck out way too much. Like I don't know what happened. I I, I could blame the umpires to a certain extent because Game Four, Dan Bellino was not calling the game fair. He was calling way too wide. But on the whole, um, the Yankees are just. Neither team really showed th- you right. Yeah, neither, yeah, team n- really neither team really showed up. Great. Neither team was great. And the Astros are learning that the hard way right now. Right.
1: And, and I think we're seeing a, a continuation of just how the Astros are playing right now in the World Series.
0: And the one uh, devilish side of me likes to, is uh, likes to think that this is the Astros' karma for what their now former assistant GM pulled at the end of game six.
1: Unnecessary distraction.
0: Uh, All right. So for those who, and it
1: seems to have affected the team.
0: I don't know about that. Um, I don't know, man. All right. Moving on. So just so, just so everyone's aware at the ALCS celebration in the Astros clubhouse after game six, their assistant GM, a young man by the, by the name of Brandon Taubman uh, was really excited. He goes, "I." I can't believe we effing got Osuna. I love Roberto Osuna. Now, Roberto Osuna is the Astros' closer, uh, was suspended for 75 games last year because of a uh, domestic violence incident. The Astros traded for him despite knowing this, and Mm -hmm. they caught a lot of flack for that accordingly. So what Mr. Taubman did uh, during the celebration, he was shouting what I just said about Osuna in the direction of a few... uh, I think it was three female reporters. Three female reporters, one of whom was wearing a purple domestic violence awareness bracelet. Uh, Stephanie Epstein, a great young writer for Sports Illustrated, covered this, and the Astros just completely mishandled it from the get go. Right.
1: It was a totally un, it was a totally unforced error too. It was a, it was a needlessly, you know, aggressive way. To, right it was it was a knee jerk reaction to, to, kind of, to immediately play defense no but like i mean his i mean his conduct in in shouting that was a totally needless and aggressive way to i think get across a political point or a politicized point
0: that I, he, he see, was trying to make i don't think it was a politicized point and here's why so now first off bless the uh, the sports writers who after the astros released that statement calling the article misleading bless all the reporters including lindsay adler of the athletic who just jumped to Stephanie's defense, said, I was there when I witnessed it. What the Astros are saying happened did not happen. Everything that is in this article is true. Right. Um, the Astros then released a, a pair of joint statements, one from the team, one from Talman. The team was the usual uh, towing the line talking points. I didn't appreciate that at all. They still haven't retracted what they said. Taubman, to his credit, and I can't believe I'm saying this, mm-hmm. if you read the tone of his statement, he was at least trying to sound sincere, but he just couldn't get past the standard white bread talking points, and that's what did him in. The Astros today fired Brandon Taubman, Yep. and oh God, you're not going to believe this. This was from, I believe, Jeff Pass, and oh no, I'm sorry, Hazel May tweeted this out. Hazel May uh, apparently uh, w- uh, tweeted out what Jeff Luno, the Astros GM, said. Uh, apparently someone asked him, hey, have you uh, reached out to Stephanie Epstein to to like clear the air to apologize and Luna said oh I've been so busy I haven't had the time she was in the room at that moment right when he could have said oh Stephanie's right here Stephanie I'm very sorry for what happened he could have done it right there and he didn't that's just crazy so you know another unforced error that's all. Uh, you know what? Uh, the Astros deserve what they get. Yep. I hereby curse the franchise. <laughs> Hopefully, this is the start of their long inevitable collapse. Where Jose Altuve, that damn Nicolas Maduro supporter, retires to Venezuela out of shame. <laughs> you know, I'm
1: not. I'm not willing to curse the team, but I think their window is going to close. Their window
0: is going to close. And I, and I think it's. And I
1: think it's going to close sooner rather than later. I don't think we're looking at a 10 year dynasty. Down nah, in absolutely.
0: Absolutely. You know what not. I mean? If, like- I, I think that three years from now, if the Astros. Are still as good as they are, it's going to be an anomaly. Right. It's going to be certainly going to be with different guys because I don't see Cole, uh, I don't see them being able to re sign Cole in the offseason. No, because they just committed a bunch of money over to Justin Verlander, who's already on the wrong side of 30, as good as he is. You know, I that's, I, that's a little
1: baffling to me, but then again, you know, my favorite team signed Chris Sale to a ridiculous extension over five years. So while we're on the do?
0: subject of the sacks, Paulie D, uh, what's going on uh, on. It's not Yawkey Way anymore. What's that street called? Right Lands, uh, Lansdowne Street. No, Lansdowne Street's by the monster. But you know, fine. We'll say Lansdowne Street. What's What's, going, what's, what's happening go- on Lansdowne Street by Kenmore Square?
1: You know, not. I mean, it's nothing much. I mean, there's a GM search ongoing. Yeah.
0: Um, Very uh, quiet search at that.
1: You know, a couple of names have been have been a couple of names appear to have popped up in the Boston media. <laughs> I mean, some seem to be wishful thinking. The you only know. name st- Epstein's, of course, was one of the first to pop up, and then he quickly faded. Yeah, he, uh,
0: he's back at the Cubs with new manager David Ross.
1: I mean, the, the battle is going to be to get under the luxury tax threshold, and they're going to need to cut. You know, they're going to need to cut bait on some on some. You know, even some people that have been key. Jackie Bradley Jr.'s name has been bandied about as somebody yep. that they're going to cut bait on. You know, and Mickey uh,
0: Betts' name has been mentioned as r- a possibility.
1: Right? They just signed. Um, they just signed a. Um, I, feel, I feel like I want to say Taiwanese prospect.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a hard-throwing Taiwanese guy who, uh, twenty years old, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Right,
1: I, you know, and I don't, I, I, don't have it in front of me, but they just signed him. But the bottom, line, the, the bottom line is, this winter is going to be a lot of jockeying to, you know, a lot of jockeying and a lot of reshuffling, and and, and bets and Martinez are still up in the air as far as I can tell. So, you know, we'll see. I. I Given the turmoil that really the the front office is in, JB, I can't really see them, you know, competing for a, for a title next year either. I think it's going to take another year for things to settle, for the team to take on a new identity and to yeah, kind of and but, to kind of move forward from there. The
0: Sox need to go through about a two or three year period where they're just bad, mm-hmm. just restock the minor league system, accumulate some draft picks. Extend qualifying offers to free agents for the sole purpose of getting draft picks for when they do sign elsewhere. Right. Uh, but regarding the GM search, this was uh, just from Mark Feinstein about five minutes ago. Mark Feinstein of MLB.com. Oh, great. great. Great friend of the show and a and a great guy in general.
1: I'm breaking news.
0: Yeah. Um, it's not official yet, but right now it looks like the overwhelming frontrunner for the Sox GM job is one Chaim Bloom, who is the Ray's senior VP for baseball operations. And this is, what, um, this is from a blurb that Feinstein wrote about Bloom back when Dombrowski was fired. Bloom has earned a sparkling reputation during his 15-year run with the Rays, joining forces with Eric Neander to create one of the more impressive front office duos in the game. Bloom has been a candidate for other GM jobs in recent years, including the Phillies, Twins, and Mets, and it seems like just a matter of time before he receives an opportunity to run his own ship. Bloom doesn't seem to fall into a new school or old school mentality. Instead, blending it all into a well-rounded philosophy of team building. I mean, it's uh,
1: on paper. On paper, they're all going to sound good, but let's see how he does. You know, if he gets the job, let's let's see what it is. I can I can tell you that the Rays have done more, have consistently done more with less, especially in these last two or three seasons, in an impressive fashion. You know, they've been extremely competitive, and what is I think. One of the most top heavy divisions in baseball, if not the most top heavy division, you know, between the Yanks and the Sox. Um, you know, and they still, they've managed to compete and they managed to win games that, you know, heck, uh, the Sox won 108 games, 108 games uh, 2018. I think, how many did the Yanks win? 100?
0: We had 100 even. 100 and 103 even. 103 this year. And
1: Tampa still escaped, I think, with 90 wins. That's nothing, right. that's nothing, that's a major accomplishment in that division because you're playing, I mean, that's, That's thirty six. That's that's thirty six games you're playing against the Red Sox and the Yankees, the two toughest teams and two of the toughest teams in baseball. You know, and to be that competitive and to remain that competitive is part and parcel with how the team is built. So, you know, I think it's probably a good idea, and it's also probably a good idea, and you know, from a from a strategy perspective, to steal some, you know, to steal some of the thought leadership from another team. Yeah. So that's a very Belichickian move. It's kind of what, yeah. you know, and, and I th- and, I think so along that along those lines, I, th- I think it's a good idea.
0: And I think Bloom in this case would be a smart hire for the Red Sox just because, you know, I just mentioned he's with the Rays is their VP of uh, of operations, player personnel. Uh, if there's one thing the Rays have learned how to do these past two years uh, in the post Andrew Friedman era and with Kevin Cash at the managing home, they know how to build a team on a shoestring budget. Yeah. And the Red Sox are... Looking to fix what was chronic overspending, not just under Dombrowski. No, it's but, but, I mean, but under since Ben Charrington. Charrington. Yeah, and, I mean, and even Theo was guilty of overspending in some cases. And it
1: just, but it just seemed like I mean Theo. I think Theo did end up overspending. You know, in the late, in the late two thousand aughts.
0: Yeah, because uh, he did he sign John Lackey. I can't. Uh, yeah, because I'm pretty. Because around that time. Oh no, he did sign John Lackey because he, right. he retired because remember Theo left for the Cubs right after Chicken Gate,
1: and while John Lackey did you know while John Lackey did do a good job in the 2013
0: World Series, um, that was a it was a bad signing overall just because with all of his arm problems he just
1: wasn't great. You know he was yeah. I used to say that John Lackey's favorite number must be five because that's how many runs he gives up every game.
0: Yeah, well, also going going from pitching for the angels to then going to as you've called it several times the meat grinder that is the AL East. it's tough it is very tough and especially when you're playing inside a matchbox like like Fenway Park (laughs) did did I ever you might remember this because um I've told you how I used to go up to Maine the summers before yeah one of the few channels we got up there was it was either Nesson or what what the the mid-90s equivalent of Nesson was wherever the Red Sox were on might
1: be WSBK TV 38 Boston
0: Yeah. Would you get that up in uh, rural Maine? Might. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Or
1: some affiliate that carries the same stuff. Either way,
0: in the mid-90s, the Red Sox had some sort of giveaway where kids could show up to the game early or come after the game, and if they uh, hit a ball over the green monster, they got prizes. Yeah, And given how... How, what is it, like 314 to the monster I down, think, down left field?
1: Oh, I think it's less than that.
0: Either way, I, I can only assume that- cause I, I thought I was, it was like
1: 301 or 302.
0: Because I'm pretty plugged into the baseball world, Paulie D., and I have not seen hide nor hair of this since around maybe like 98, 99. Right. I'm guessing so many kids hit balls <laughs> over the green monster that the socks were like, okay, no more prizes. Just stop. <laughs> no more. Oh, were they using tennis balls? I, I don't even know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's cool, though. I mean, yeah. look it's it's a great place to watch a ball game, especially if you are sitting down close. Uh, it's yeah. it's really along with Yankee Stadium. I am
0: hoping to take the wife there next year.
1: And so. long, look, along with Yankee Stadium and Wrigley Field, it's it is one of the temples of baseball. I yep. mean, it's or cathedrals, if you will. You know, it's it's uh, it's a, it's a real experience, and if you can catch a if you can catch a big game there, or even a playoff game. There's, mm-hmm. To me, there's no atmosphere like it.
0: Absolutely. And the atmosphere at Yankee Stadium is about to change a lot next season, Paulie. Day. Why do you
1: say that, JB? All right.
0: So for those uh, who tuned in this afternoon, uh, Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone gave their uh, end-of-year press conferences today. Um, now, Boone didn't really say anything of note. He gave the usual, I'm proud of the team, we support each other, we got a good team. Just He towed the company line, uh, the, the standard talking points. Brian Cashman dropped some knowledge, and some of which, <laughs> oh boy, I gotta do it again. Hold on. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. It's gonna be a, a potentially stressful off season, but here's why.
1: Well, you know, it depends on what depends on what part of the Yankees organization you're in. It, it'll
0: be stressful. Even in the in what is now our off season, Paul AD, we cannot escape the damn injuries. You can't because what happened? <sighs> okay. <laughs> now it's an, it's sh- sh- un, it sh- is should I it is unreal it is unreal okay so masa so starting it off Masahiro Tanaka he recently had surgery to remove some loose bodies and bone chips in his elbow oh his ligament is fine he'll be ready for spring training Luke Voigt who we surmised something was up with the hernia still he just had surgery to repair his core muscles he's gonna be ready for spring training unbelievable then there's isn't it? then there's Aaron Hicks right Aaron Hicks, What's who, wrong with him now? Uh, yeah, yeah. Aaron Hicks, uh, who, has, as we all know, dealt with some elbow trouble at the end of the season, came back to, uh, to play in the ALCS, had a great home run off the foul pole. Aaron Hicks, Paulie D., two years in a row now, the Yankees have a position player who needs Tommy John surgery. Unreal. And, unreal and this time like i'm guessing this was worse than gregorius's dita is because what did
1: you guys kill wizards familiar i, mean, I don't know <laughs> good lord what did you what did you what did you run what, o- more importantly when did you start watching sabrina <laughs> what did you run over a run over some you know some some old witches you know some old witches kid i mean geez. all right that's stephen king's it stop <laughs> dropping new england stuff
0: on me Anyway, so Aaron Hicks out eight to ten months with Tommy John surgery. Uh, so that puts his timeline anywhere between June and August. Look, spring
1: training should not take place in Salem's lot, JB. Okay? There's, there's better. But it's so pretty.
0: <laughs> and I'm that's, friends with the vampires. That's how it gets you. Anyway, so Aaron Hicks, the switch hitting center fielder, who the Yankees, just, who the Yankees mind you, last spring training gave a $70 million contract extension. Hey, at least it's cheaper than Ellsbury. Don't get me started on Ellsbury. Look, oh, who look. apparently is still not ready
1: for baseball activity. Of course not. He's never gonna. He's never gonna play again. He's never playing
0: again. I'm okay with that. I, I'd rather. I, I, we should have bought I, him I, out two years I, ago. General, I don't understand about Jacoby Ellsbury. Right, right, right. You gave him seven years. What was like hundred fifty million dollars? Right. He. It is now. Two years in a row where he hasn't played. Why is he still on the payroll? It seems. Why haven't we bought him out? I, it, it's... it is so easy. Just, Cashman, call Ellsbury. Say, how much money for you <laughs> to go away?
1: Stop laughing, Baldy D. I mean, it's it's the truth. Look, <sighs> it seems self evident that the yeah, guy. I, we, had that...
0: Get, we had to get one LeGrecker rant in there, didn't we? It, to, right. it took us this long with the podcast.
1: Absolutely. It, but it seems self evident that he absolutely does not want to play baseball anymore.
0: What do you mean doesn't want to play baseball?
1: I don't think Ellsbury wants to play.
0: So why isn't he just flat out
1: retired or... Because, you know, money. If he gives lip service to wanting to play... He hasn't given lip service, that's the thing. I mean, I'm sure there's got to be some internal communications he's had.
0: With one way, the one way or another, there's now a big hole in center field, and the Yankees fortunately do have options. Right, they do. It opens the door for Brett Gardner to return at two fifty-one with, oh 20, with twenty-eight Lord. homers last year. He's
1: never going to retire, Brett Gardner. He's going to be playing when he's ninety. Yeah, I mean, he looks ninety right now. So just <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, he does. He just does have a craggy look. So
0: here, so Brett Gardner wants to come back to the Yankees. Sure. He hit 28 home runs last year, hit 251, which isn't bad. No. But uh, the he struck out way too much. Sure. His strikeout rate went up two points to nineteen point six percent. He wasn't walking a lot. He doesn't have the same opposite field contact hitting, and and even still though, even if Gardner doesn't come back, Mike Talkman is an option.
1: He was re- Gardner was really productive this year, but he was a far cry from the real pesky Brett Gardner that we knew once upon a time. Right, the yeah. guy who you know, the guy who I mean, he still does the he still gives you those long at bats from time to time. Yeah,
0: but not but not as much. It, it used to be. When... Do you know what I mean though? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Guy
1: that that guy that that guy like oh man. Oh, on the ninth pitcher of the at bat, and he's batting ninth, and that's all. But that's all you really need out of him, you right. know what I mean? Yeah,
0: he, he's there to frustrate the pitcher, right?
1: You know and and get his and get get what hits he can. I mean, I agree with you on talkman, but who's to say you didn't just catch lightning in a bottle this year with talkman and that he's never going to have this kind of I season mean again? with all
0: this talk of like the balls being juiced and going back to the old balls for the playoffs who there there's no telling like who knows what's going to happen but the fact of the matter is that the Yankees aren't going to spend big on a center fielder right because Hicks is under contract for uh, not just next year but five more years after that plus there's a team option uh talkman can come back as he's available at a bargain uh you could try and get clint, Fra- clint uh, uh clint frazier to play center field but his defense is a big problem and he's better suited with his arm to be a corner outfielder anyway
1: and his emotions can get the best of him
0: right aaron judge center fielder at fresno state but he's barely played it on the major league level you want to put him there with his arm probably not i don't maybe you keep cameron maben around because he's a great defensive outfielder he loved playing in new york uh, there's lots of questions to answer, but th- but this the whole story of this is injuries. Now it's unbelievable. Now, like, it's really unbelievable. Well, this is here's the T, Paul e. D. Like I said, Aaron Boone he towed the company line, didn't say anything special. Brian Cashman said something interesting about the training staff, and it's kind of the thing he's been saying ever since uh, Stanton went down with his quad injury,
1: right? He, uh, did, he did say something very interesting.
0: Yeah, because pretty much the Yankees, in response to this unfathomable amount of injuries that they dealt with in 2019... I think 28 guys on the I.L.? Something like that, yeah. Or 28 I.L. 20 stints. 20-something. Uh, 30, 39 uh, I.L. stints. And I
1: think it's maybe like 23 or 28 guys. It's something one way, around there. One way it's, an, it's a crazy number.
0: One way or another, the Yankees, as a result, they've been gathering and mining data as to the training process, how... How guys recover? How they get ready for games? Um, all that Cash said during the uh, the postseason presser, or the end of season presser, rather, was that the investigation into the data was ongoing, and he didn't commit one way or the other about the same training staff being back next year. He didn't. He neither confirmed nor denied that there were going to be personnel changes in that area. Right. Now that said, Stevie Donahue, who's the head trainer, he's probably safe. He's been with the Yankees for almost 30 years at this point, and they could let him go, but I think that he's respected enough in the clubhouse that he'll stick around. The strength and conditioning coaches, they're the ones who could be on the chopping block.
1: And some of these injuries, you know, in their defense are lightning bolt kind of injuries. So, I mean, there's there, it, there was just a spate of bad luck that struck the Yankees this year. There
0: was a spate of bad luck, but it was also clear with some injuries there was a clear lack of communication and everything was kind of unnecessarily cagey. Right. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, oh, two perfect examples actually. Luis Severino, I remember. I remember because uh, he was supposed to start a spring training game, got pulled last minute for Green to be an opener. Oh, we talked about that. Yes, and Boone and uh, Michael Kay, during the broadcast asked Aaron Boone, "Hey, what's going on?" And Boone said, eh, "Hey, felt something lat back of the shoulder. Like we're gonna look into that." But then all of a sudden uh, he says, "Oh, he, we're shutting him down because he's dealing with rotator cuff tightness." Then he's diagnosed with a, uh, with a lat strain. Right. Which is it? Is it rotator, cu- rotator cuff t- uh, tightness and tendonitis, or is it a lat strain? Pick right one. Now let's go. Now let's talk about Stanton again. Well,
1: let's finish that. And what okay. that and, and what that speaks to is, an, is a is a is a is a health or training organization or or division or whatever you want to call it that isn't that is releasing information to key stakeholders without actually maybe collecting all the information. Do you know what I mean? Like what they're doing is, I mean, how does it come out that a guy has three different, you know, diagnoses, so to speak in a short amount of time. Do you know what I mean? It's them. Right. It's them kind of not having their act together in the first place. And, and that's what leads to those sorts of problems the, and the, that sort of confusion. Like, what is it? Is it his lat? It is. Is it his rotator cuff? Before you say anything, you should know exactly what it is if you're the medical and training staff. you You should know. Right. And if you don't know for sure, guess what you say? Nothing. Yes. You know, and that's... And maybe it's, it's and, like my it, it's like yeah.
0: my, my old my old man rest in peace, like he always used to say this to me, my siblings, everybody. He said, It's not a crime, there's or there's nothing wrong with saying I don't know.
1: Right. And and if you don't know, don't say anything. But that's I mean, and maybe that's part of what Cashman's looking at too, is just how the whole is how the, how what they do in that area of the organization, how how everything they do is run and managed. And that's might that might be something that also could could see some changes in the off season.
0: One way or another, though, I want to talk about Stanton real, real quick, and this right. is where I think there's oh going to be lots God. of lots of changes because Giancarlo Stanton was limited to 18 games the entire season. 72 at-bats. Yeah, and then he got hurt in the ALCS as well. It's crazy. So it starts with what they call the bicep strain early in the season because he, sw- he swung really hard at a John Means changeup. John Means is a young lefty for the Baltimore Orioles who has – the best changeup I've seen since Pedro. I mean, he gave.
1: He, I mean, he gave the socks fits all year.
0: Yes, and so Stanton, we initially thought strained his bicep while chasing, while going swinging at a changeup. But actually, it was actually a bicep tear. And even in the recovery of all of that, when they're asking him how he's feeling, they say, "Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to ramp it up." Um, oh, um, how are you? Um, I forget the exact words, but pretty much he was very cagey. He said, that's all the information I have for him. I'm just going to ramp it up in the batting cage. He come, He goes on a rehab assignment and that and suffers yet another setback with a calf strain. Then all of a sudden he's back. He plays a couple games, uh, sprains his knee. And then he's out for another couple months, comes back, seems to be doing okay, strains his quad in the ALCS. Paul E.D., you know as well as I do. I don't know whether Stanton is skipping leg day, which you never do. Right. Or what's happening. I, I refuse to believe that one player in particular is that injury prone right. that the training staff isn't doing something wrong. And what and what
1: I think if in that to me is almost a more clear cut case of the training staff just not being able to get it right not telling him what he should and shouldn't be doing. Maybe so. Because I, I, yeah,
0: I, I remember at after one point... Relative,
1: well, hang on. After relative periods of inactivity, maybe they're ramping him up too quick. Maybe it's too slow. Maybe they don't have control over the player enough. Do you know what I mean? To, to, for for him to buy into what they're telling him. But either way, whether they're doing the wrong thing or whether the players aren't listening and hurting themselves in the process, the training staff probably needs a little shakeup.
0: up. Yeah. And the coaching staff might, too, because one thing that um, neither Boone nor Cashman talked about in the uh, in the press conference was they didn't talk about any possible personnel changes, because per Cash, he and Boone haven't had their their end-of-year sit-down together yet, just the two of them. One name I think you need to watch, and I think this was John Heyman, or maybe it was Jeff Passan, who posted this on Twitter this morning, keep an eye on pitching coach Larry Rothschild, and here's why. So... As we are all aware, the Philadelphia Phillies hired former Yankees manager Joe Girardi to become their new manager today. They certainly did. He is reunited with his longtime bench coach Rob Thompson, who uh, served under Gabe Kapler in the same capacity. is universally liked by all players, and Rothschild and Girardi worked together for a very long time, almost a decade, I think. Now, here's where it gets complicated. Larry Rothschild has a year left on his New York Yankees deal. And he lives up here full time. I think I have to double check that. And you have to figure it might be time to move on from him, because the pitching underachieved all this year, regardless of injuries, uh, regardless of all the inju- right. uh, the in- injuries. Injuries. I mean, <sighs> Paxton didn't look himself at all the first half of the year. Right. Uh, Cece Sabathia, his age was really showing. Tanaka was was hit or miss. Severino, we barely saw. And plus, he's a holdover from the old regime. And now, mind you, so is Mike Harkey, the bullpen coach. But he's basically one of the guys... He's like really opened up. He's kind of a big, loud kid. He's a big joker because um, you know how um, players weekend when they wear all the jerseys with the nicknames on the back. Yeah, he goes, "I'm not Cece." on his. <laughs> Just because, hey, two big, tall, black guys don't like don't mix this up, right? Because, uh, and speaking of he and Cece, like they apparently recommend TV shows to each other because he was on an episode of Cece's podcast where they talked about all that. The guy's hilarious. He is one of the guys. He's a players' coach, exactly. And Mark Rig of the Athletic reported how Larry Rothschild, though very good at his job, very committed to his process, knows what he's doing, he very often leaves the stadium in a hurry just so he could take the subway home, if you can believe that. Right. Well, Uh, Now, that all being said, I'm very thankful for everything Larry Rothschild has done for the organization, regardless of the fact that he has not won a title with us, because he's clearly good at his job, but I think that at this point, we now know look, Boone is more than capable of managing the Yankees. He is very good at his job. The players respond to him, but he needs to bring in his own guy, preferably someone younger. It could be Mickey Callaway or Mike Butcher. It's still too early to tell. Either way, I think that if you gotta chop one coach, if any of them, it's gotta be Rothschild.
1: I think I think we could be seeing the end of Rothschild too. And there and the reason why my reason why is a little bit different. Um in terms of fixing players and fixing pitchers paxton spent a whole half of the season scuffling you, right you know you have to wonder where was rothschild during during all that time well and in, in is he pe- trying to let him work it out in the same thing and just the same in, thing. in the
0: piece of in the piece by Kurig that i just mentioned um uh, because uh, we know paxton dealt with a knee injury for about a month yeah early in the year I'm sure that was part of it. Yeah,
1: he had a brace for like a couple weeks, didn't he?
0: Yeah, uh, and I think another part of it is that he was having, uh, he, I think, hit some uh, hit some bumps in the road in just in terms of getting himself settled in the city. Because you remember last year when uh, Giancarlo Stan kind of got off to a slowish start in New York? Yeah. Apparently, and this is from the great book Inside the Empire by uh, Bob Klapisch and Paul Sol- uh, Solitaroff, apparently there was such a snafu... In terms of him shipping all of his stuff up from Miami, oh wow! That for a good two to four weeks he didn't know where a lot of his stuff was. <laughs> so that's just bad luck. And then and then he also mentioned and Cece Sabathia did this too on the podcast where Stanton was the guest moving to New York. And look, you have moved to New York from New England. Moving to New York is a process. No, yeah, it's, it's long. not just it's not just finding out. Where you're gonna live? It's like, okay, what neighborhood should I live in? Where's safe? Where, um, where am I gonna be going any given day? What's what needs to be convenient? Um, do I need, need to? I need to know where my dry cleaner is. Where where my convenience store is? Where I'm gonna get coffee and stuff. I moved into university housing because I went here to grad school because I believe in making poor life choices.
1: Um, <laughs> okay, Marge Simpson. But even, <laughs> but even, even so, it still took five very good friends to move me in. Yeah, it's it's a it's a long, lengthy, difficult process. It's, you know, I mean, look, Stanton's not living in a fifth floor walk up like I was, absolutely not. But it's a but it's a
0: lengthy process. It's a thing. Right. Yeah, it's a you're not just like piling stuff through a do- you know through a door. I mean, Aaron Judge when he um, I think it was 2017, maybe in the latter half of 2016, he lived with Brett Gardner. Right. The space the space feels different. The uh,
1: when you walk outside your door. You know, it's just different. It's way different, yeah. And and it's just a different experience. And I can understand guys like Paxton and Stanton getting a scuffling for even for that reason. But what I can understand is understanding that you know he had a bit of a knee issue, but still, Rothschild's got to be working with him even on you know matters of psychology, of pitching psychology and strategy. You know, it, you're right. not you're not really even seeing that for the first half of the year, and it takes kind of Paxton. I think I believe it kind of took Paxton, you know, until Paxton could kind of bring himself out of it. In this, and I'll say the same thing about Adavino in the playoffs. You know, you could see he was scuffling; that he was a different guy. Yeah, he didn't it, have a slider. It, it, you could see that he was a different guy in the Twins series. In the first game he pitched in the twin series, you have to be working with him. Where was Rothschild? That's that's what I would ask. You know, um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I'm. Maybe with you know some of these guys, the wait and the wait and see kind of approach to pitching coaching um, m- might not be the best, and in somebody other than Larry Rothschild I mean, might look, be a better to, pick. to
0: Rothschild's credit, he is trying very hard to adapt to the new style because um, apparently um, during the Yankee half of innings when they were up to bat, he would be in constant communication with the video crew, looking at at like the various pitching cameras and heels and if there's one thing that will save his job it's that at, I think it was the latter half of the season where he uh finally convinced Masahiro Tanaka no no hold your splitter this way as opposed to that <laughs> way so that might save his job I don't know
1: but even so if, if 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 your pitching coach if it takes your pitching coach that long to get through to One pitcher, or maybe maybe there were multiple pitchers he had difficulties with along those same lines. Is he the guy that you want in that role? You know what I mean? If the it's like it's like I said with the training staff earlier. If you're not getting buy-in from the players, right? Even if he's doing nothing wrong, even if he's doing everything he can, if the players aren't listening to him, you got to get somebody in there that that they're gonna listen
0: to. I mean, the players are gonna buy. I think are buying in at least to a certain extent because you don't win 103 games just by saying you know screw the training staff. Let's just do our own thing no that's
1: true and but look it's also a really great team with a lot with that's just loaded with talent yeah and you know could get could add even more talent this offseason season and Garrett Cole's a free agent and Boone's and Boone's gonna win some of these games just by set, just by writing out writing out the lineup card right so I mean along those lines you know I mean, I think you really have to you really have to put it you I think you really I think Cashman in this offseason really has to prioritize finding those pieces that are going to help this team gel even more so that,
0: you know Look, I, I believe I believe good things come in threes. The Yankees won a hundred games last year despite it being Boone's first year at the helm and they looked pretty good. Um, the Red Sox were just at a crazy pace this year they got to the alcs they advanced further in the playoffs looked stronger as a team despite the injuries really embraced next man up maybe next year's the year i don't know Um, maybe is this the part where i give the requiem for the yankees uh i think i think you'd better (sighs) this is gonna be tough all right all right jb you can do it here we go all right yankees it was a great year lots of ups lots of downs lots of highs lots of lows you gave me so many great memories. It was my second year in a row as a season ticket holder. I'm glad to be going back for a third next year. As much as you may have disappointed me, I still love you. Any of your players are welcome in my home at any time. I enjoy covering you. Stop laughing, Paul D. Go back to the golf course. What's the matter with you? Show some respect. You know what? No. You ruined it. You ruined the rec game for the Sorry. Yankees. Sorry, it was really you well, know. okay. How about we the see- line? The
1: line that any of these players are ready, to, are are, are uh, any of these players are, are are able to come by at any time got me. That, that was the, that was the one.
0: <laughs> anyway, we got about uh, twelve and a half twelve and a half minutes left of the show. Would you like to have a conversation about something where it's semi okay for you to laugh about it? Yeah, let's do it. To add insult to injury, Paulie D, with the Yankees being out of the ALCS. It means that now, on top of watching the team that beat us in the World Series, where hopefully they uh, they lose two more games, go, I think they will go Nats. I now have Nats, sh-
1: I picked Nats in five. I want it. I want that. I want that. You know, on I'm, tape.
0: I'm going to agree with that as well. Nats in five. I yeah. think. I think that they lose game three. That that's the one that they let Houston have. Right. And then just step on their throats. Games four and five. Right. I think Scherzer, you know, locks it down in game five, and then that's that. Yeah. Anyway, the worst part about all this while we while we have about 12 12 and a half minutes left in the show and you can laugh at this, it's Knicks season now. And I got to shift my attention to them. Hey, I mean the Knicks are um, I mean, didn't they beat the Nets? Uh no, they're playing the Nets uh, tomorrow. Uh, or uh, today, whenever the people will be listening to the podcast We're recording this Thursday night, tomorrow's Friday And they will be playing the Nets then No, the Knicks uh, Man, who, were the, who were the Nets playing where, where the Ky- Nets- where, when Kyrie dropped 50? They were playing the Timberwolves and lost in overtime <laughs> 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 Hey, Minnesota's got a good young team uh, But the Knicks, on the other hand, when Kyrie, into-
1: welcome to Brooklyn, Kyrie
0: Brooklyn <laughs> Brooklyn I'm Trying to get up in here, out of New Jersey Get out of here Anyway, the Knicks opened the season in the belly of the beast. That is the San Antonio Spurs. Oof. And believe it or not, Paul D., they actually looked pretty good for uh, a good chunk of the game. They were up by as many as six in the fourth quarter. Until? Until it all fell apart. <laughs> and you'll be seeing this in my latest from ESNY uh, on the Knicks. The problem was, Paul D., when push comes to shove, they stopped communicating. It took them a while to get get going. They looked terrible in the first quarter. They weren't spacing the floor well. Uh, the ball wasn't moving. It was like watching Carmelo Anthony when it came to just the ball. The offense stopping. The ball just stopped. And bad shots were taken, right? But then the Elf- clogged toilet offense. Yeah, but then they got Alfred Payton out there. They gave R.J. Barrett some more freedom with the ball. The ball kept moving around, and then they were able to hit some timely threes, draw some fouls, hit some good jump shots, put, uh, just dink and dunk a lot. And they forced twenty one Spurs turnovers. Isn't
1: it, isn't that a thing though that that basketball? That the, you know, no matter what level they're playing at, whether it's college or the pros, it always seems to come back to fundamentals. Keep that ball moving. Keep, yeah. your, keep your spacing. Play good defense. Force turnovers, and good things will happen. You know, I mean that you'd like to think that any team in the NBA can beat any other team in the NBA on a given night. I don't think that's quite true, but I think there's a lot more parity than people give the NBA credit for
0: this year, especially just because uh, free agency pretty much reset the league. There aren't really any super teams. Uh, it's been confirmed or practically confirmed that neither Kevin Durant, who signed with the Nets, nor Klay Thompson, who re signed with the Warriors. Neither man is going to play this yeah, season. It,
1: it does look a whole lot more equitable out there at the top of the league. Yeah. I mean, and so teams now like the Philadelphia 76ers are even more in play. Although I think a lot of the pundits give the Clippers the – give the Clippers and the Lakers, you know, uh, I, I'm and I'm sure Vegas does as well, uh, the uh, – a lot of the, you know, the I think they're they're favored to win the title, but I do th- I agree with you that there's a whole ton more parity out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, just just to give you an idea, this was the Spurs starting lineup last night: Trey Lyles, Lamarcus Aldridge, DeJunte Murray, Demar Derozan, and former Michigan State standout Bryn Forbes. The Knicks by uh, by comparison: Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Alonzo Trier. With um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Damian Dotson sitting either from a coach's decision or his shoulders still barking, and Mitchell Robinson, the fine young center, did not play because of an ankle injury. Now, the loss of Robinson hurt. Let's just put that out right, out there right now. Yeah. The Spurs had 51 rebounds to the Knicks' 39. However, they also committed 21 turnovers to the Knicks, only committing 14. And the real story of the game was the Knicks' personal fouls. They committed 32 personal fouls. Oof while the Spurs only committed 18, the Spurs took 36 trips to the free-throw line compared to just 18 for the Knicks. Everything else was fairly even. What do you think that means, the personal foul differential? Are they just not moving their feet on defense? I'm sure that was part of it. There were a couple of really bad fouls in there. Um, Alfred Payton, like like I said, he was the main— in the fourth quarter, when the Knicks were up by 5 or 6, he committed his fifth foul of the game, and that was also his last foul of the game— and he came out. R.J. Barrett came back in to run the point, and everything kind of fell apart. Uh, all in all, the the Knicks stopped communicating with each other. Yeah, it wasn't about like it wasn't about finding good shots. I remember Wayne Ellington took a three point shot despite there being plenty of time on the clock, and he had a hand in his face. Marcus Morris took a bad jump shot, same situation, plenty of time, and he didn't need to take that shot. Um, everyone just kind of went on tilt. On offense, to some extent, I feel like the the, and the Spurs went on an 18 zip run. Well, that's
1: what happens when you go on tilt. Yeah, Uh, but to some extent, I do feel like the Knicks might be auditioning um, to say that they're not just a complete to show that they're not a complete basketball wasteland. Um,
0: That's definitely part of it.
1: So as to so as to just say, hey, we're just a couple major pieces away, and you can win here because we're your supporting cast. That's I. If I'm the Knicks, if I'm that team, I think I, I think that's kind of what I have to attack this season with. Let's you know, let's attract the best talent we can here by showing that you know all the pieces are here, because that's a major doubt, and I think that's what kept them from getting even the meetings that they needed with the key free agents this year. I is think, that they had no pieces in place? I
0: think that's definitely part of the equation. And that said, all the Knicks last night who needed to have good games. Had good games. That's good. Uh, Marcus Morris, who famously jilted the Spurs to sign with the Knicks because he wanted to be closer to Philadelphia. 26 points, including three three-pointers. Um, R.J. Barrett, the rookie at Duke. 21 points, 9 of 13 shooting, only took three three-point attempts. He added five rebounds, a pair of assists, and two steals. That's not bad. Julius Randle, who was our marquee free agent signing, 25 and 11. A- and six assists. Alfred Payton. Uh, here's his line. Eleven points on four and nine shooting, eight assists, five steals. I mean, the team will be lucky to, to make the eight seed, but uh, the I, the Knicks aren't making the playoffs. But
1: the you playoffs. know, but you know what I mean? Like they, it, it would they would be extremely fortunate to to be there. I mean, I think they're going to be battling their over under number. Which are, what is it? What is it now? Twenty eight.
0: Uh, it's it's between twenty six and twenty
1: eight. Yes. You know, so i i, I personally think that go- that they're going to go under. Um, I took the over. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. are you you're also a Knicks fan, uh, but I think they're going to go under. But I think I think that you know, I feel like they could be moving in the right direction, and hopefully, they get. Hopefully they get they get a major signing in the next couple of years to put them on the map.
0: I mean, I'll say this much: when I say I took I picked the Knicks to go over, I don't pick I don't expect them to go over by much. No, I get it. I, I think I in, get it. I think in the ESNY official prediction, I picked maybe thirty-one wins, if that. Right. You just feel which, that
1: they're. You just feel that it's just too low at right, 20, because, twenty-six or twenty-seven.
0: Because I, I think that the twenties that the twenty-six, twenty-seven over under, I think that's largely an overreaction to winning just seventeen games last year. But let's be honest: the Knicks were ver- were quietly open that last year they were tanking right and now that tanking rules don't really favor the worst team because now and that they got precisely nothing out of it yeah i mean i wouldn't call rj barrett nothing no but
1: but what i'm saying is they didn't get what they wanted right you Uh, know they they spent this whole year looking like garbage to not get what they what they to be quite frank, what they ultimately wanted. And it could- there's no Knicks fan that was looking for RJ Barrett. Now RJ Barrett might have found a home here. Yeah, but there's. I mean, who knows? He's a rookie. Time will tell. But there's no Knicks fan who wasn't,
0: you know, who wasn't falling asleep at night, you know, thinking Zion, Zion, Zion. Of course, but now, but now look at uh, fast forward to today, and it looks like the Knicks could have dodged a bullet. Zion Williamson, right. he's out for eight weeks with a torn meniscus. Oh, uh, oh, John, it's, br- it's brutal. Yeah, John Morant, who was no, went number two to the Grizzlies last last night. Oh, God, he had a brutal game. The Grizzlies lost to the Heat 120-101. to 101. What was John Morant's line? John Morant's line, 14 points of 6 of 12 shooting, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 steal. Here's the kicker right here, Paul. His plus-minus for the night, minus 29. Oof. Six turnovers. Oof. Six. Now, granted, it's I I understand that in this era of a scoring point guard, we're going to see a lot more turnovers. Russell Westbrook commits a lot. You don't have to—just uh, because you commit a lot of turnovers doesn't mean that you're a bad player. RJ Barrett, uh, but,
1: ja, ja, definitely, though, kind of dazzled everybody in the tournament last year. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, he did. Like, um, he, 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 was, he was one of the flashiest, other than Zion, of course. But well, he was yeah, one of the but it, it just
0: ones. goes to show you how guards from mid majors, you got to be careful with them. You I mean, do. I mean, not everyone's going to be Steph Curry or Damian Lillard. I remember, I think it was 2015, there was a guy also out of, um, Ja was Murray State, right?
1: Yes, yeah, I so, think so yeah, so
0: there's another. There was another Murray State guy, I believe his name was Cameron Payne, who had a who had a great year. Uh, they just missed the tournament, but he had put out some really strong scoring numbers. He's he's riding the bench right now,
1: but nobody thought. Look, Steph Curry at Dave that Steph Curry's run with Davidson was something you know out of nowhere. Yeah. Number one and number two, it was I believe historical, but nobody after he was drafted really thought that he would turn into what he's turned into
0: he was still a top 10 pick.
1: Do you know, but do you know, I don't think I, who would have projected that he would be this good? That's fair. I I mean, I sure, I sure didn't.
0: One way or another. I mean, what
1: do I know? One One way or another,
0: these are RJ Barrett's uh, numbers by comparison to Morant, Uh, 21 points on nine of 13 shooting five rebounds and two assists. And his plus minus for the night was only minus two. And a lot of that you can chalk up to just the team around him crumbling. Now, Here's where we're going to find some common ground, Paulie D. Your Celtics lost too,
1: 107
0: 93 to the Sixers. What's going on with the Celtics post Kyrie, Paulie D? Well, you know, I mean, I think I think they're they're
1: still trying to find their identity, and I think they're going to be looking for their post Kyrie signing, pre Kyrie playing identity. I think they're trying to get back to that. Yeah. And the more that I see them, the more that I see of Brad Stevens. And the more that I see of this team, the more I think that Brad Stevens might not be a great fit for the team. I think I think you need somebody somebody with a little bit more, let's just say, proven NBA pedigree. Um, I think they need different leadership on that team. I really do, because uh, I think the talent's there, and yeah. and I and I think that they can be competitive, even very competitive. But what worries me is that what worries me is that Brad Stevens' approach is going to lose the players and then they quit on him and then there's this all this turmoil and conflict yada 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 cuz Kyrie made Stevens look really really bad last year
0: right they and made him look we- they made him look weak which is never what you want your head coach to look and like and Kemba Walker's Boston debut could not have gone worse he's 12 points 4 of 18 shooting yeah uh, the silver lining Gordon Hayward 25 points on 8 of 15 shooting Ugh. So, I, I, I think I think going, I think that you signify every Celtics fan right now.
1: I think, but I think that the talent is there for them to be competitive. I but I think I also believe that they're kind of stuck in the middle of this season a little bit. I don't I don't think that they're I don't think that that they have a realistic shot to win a title. Nor do I think, though, that they're going to be a 20 win team. I think it's you know. Like, they'll probably be like, like the, last year, some. They'll some. be the five seed in the playoffs. Like last year's. What does a five seed get you? It gets you nothing. Hey, you the know? next
0: one to the finals is an eight seed. That's all you need to know. Well, you know, but they lost, so. And that is unfortunately all the time we have, Oh, saved. man. I know. The, the, the buzzer. There we go. There, there we it go. Is. All right. Hit me again with that. Hit me again with the cue. <laughs> Is that all the time we have? We, it's all the time we got, Paul E D. Ah man. Yeah, the buzzer actually went off this time. Special thanks to ESNY, uh, and Elite Sports New York, the pulse, the voice of New York City sports. Special thanks to QED here in Astoria. Always have a uh always have a great time recording here. And uh Paul E D, we um you still got the Patriots, at least you got that. <laughs> Yeah, it's the lone silver lining up in New England. Hey, Sonny Michelle got me my three touchdowns that I needed to win fantasy this week. There you go, I'm three and four! There you go, hey. Anyway. um, Still doing better than the Browns. uh, You'll be hearing plenty of us throughout the offseason, folks. Don't you (laughs) fret. we got a lot to cover with the Yankees, the Red Sox, who might have a new GM soon. The Knicks and Celtics will keep us busy. Paulie D. will give us his weekly or biweekly Patriots rants. (laughs) Um, And uh, um, I forgot. Anyway. Uh, that 's the end of the show, and uh, poly d you know what they say what 's that j b You may be wrong, but for all I know, you may be right. happy off season folks.